0: You're listening to the See the Upside Podcast, where we talk about overcoming obstacles, choosing positivity, and doing life a little better every day. I'm your podcast host, Nina Bleicher. On the show, we share real stories and speak with industry experts about how to expand and grow through difficult change. We don't always get to choose the challenges that show up in our life, but we do get to decide how we view them. In those hard moments, there are always beautiful invitations. That's what See the Upside podcast is all about. Navigating the hard moments, but then finding the opportunity to heal, grow, and connect. I'm so grateful you're here and can't wait to share these conversations with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Today we have Greg Whiting on the show. Greg is the founder of Prisma, a methodology integrating trauma, neuroscience, and energy medicine with somatic mindfulness-based practices. He developed this while he was healing from his own anxiety, depression, and chronic pain, which was rooted in trauma. Over the past few decades, Greg has worked with thousands of clients and helped them heal through his one-on-one practice and has certified hundreds of healthcare professionals in his methodology. His new online course and community now makes healing practical and accessible to all. I love that. Greg is also a speaker and hosts a podcast called That's Not How That Works, where he discusses leadership, healing, and his journey with equity, diversity, and inclusion lot going on with Greg. So excited to talk to him. Today, we're going to discuss the importance of mental health and how healing actually works. I can't wait to dive in and talk about this topic that really affects every single one of us. Welcome to the show, Greg. So happy to have you here.
1: Hi, Nina. Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Well, I would love to start with maybe a little bit about your personal journey. I feel like that always gives us all a little bit of context of how you ended up focusing in this area and why you developed this program and really the power of how you changed your own life. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I developed Prisma really on my own journey healing myself. So that wasn't my goal to develop Prisma. My goal was to heal my own pain, You know, I found that when in adolescence and early adulthood, just the the practices, the tools, the methodologies that I was finding to heal my chronic pain, my anxiety and my depression just weren't working. Right. And I felt that a lot of the approaches were actually aggravating the trauma and actually creating more pain. And so I kind of stumbled upon healing by chance. Uh, mm. A friend of mine who was a massage therapist, this is 25 plus years ago, introduced offered me a massage and physical touch was just too painful. I was living in such severe chronic pain that I didn't want to massage. And she said, well, what about energy medicine? She said, I can work more on your subtle energy body, which was completely foreign to me, a whole different world. At that point, you know, maybe I was reading a book on meditation, but I didn't have a healing or spiritual practice, but I had implicit trust in her, and I was I was game. you know. I realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. You know, within a short period of time, my my muscles just started to soften, right Like a lifetime of chronic holding intention just started to melt away. I felt like I was able to catch my breath in, in a way that I never had before. So I was like, all right, there's something to this. Within a year, I started to study energy medicine. And four years later, I launched into kind of a meditative immersion in India, deepening into the somatic and the mindfulness components. When I came back to the States, jumped into more yoga and Ayurveda, starting to understand more of the subtle energy body and started to teach all these pieces that at that point, my spine was starting to unravel. You know, the chronic pain, the anxiety, and the depression I was carrying were starting to dissipate. And then, as I was teaching a six month program where I was kind of fusing Ayurveda, energy medicine, somatics, and mindfulness, one of my students was a therapist. And she said, You know, you're teaching trauma informed healing. And at that point, that also wasn't in my vocabulary trauma informed. I knew I was healing my own pain and my own trauma, but she said, yeah, why don't you work with me? I am a, an, I'm a professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies. I teach the trauma course in the psychotherapy department, I become my teacher's assistant. So you can help the students with mindfulness based practices, because, you know, as we're learning about trauma, it's a pretty heavy subject. So that's when I started to develop my education in trauma and neuroscience. So in the last nine years, I've kind of been reverse engineering how I've kind of intuitively pieced together all of these practices to support my own healing. And I've been able to kind of codify that and, you know, a structured and logical step by step framework to just make healing that could be a long and bumpy road, just a little easier for folks.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to me that because that's really why I do the podcast is kind of for selfish purposes, because I'm exploring different modalities and ways to do life better. And I think that's often how we come into our purpose and how we get into teaching others is by exploring for ourselves. So cool. I love that.
1: Yeah, we teach what we need to master ourselves, right? And so I'm continuing to deepen into my own healing practice as I share these practices with others. And you reach a point where as your cup starts to overflow, you know, that was the decision for me, like, who am I not to share these practices that have so much value that have so much capacity to help transform people's lives?
0: Yeah, exactly. I love that. On the mental health and wellness side of things. How does someone begin the healing process? Like we're talking about trauma. We're talking about all these beautiful modalities and you and I are kind of on the same wavelength in that way. But what if someone's just kind of in the beginning stages of that? How do you identify what your trauma is? Do you need to know that? And what are some steps you can take to kind of start taking ownership of your own mental wellness and healing?
1: Yeah. You know, I think everyone has their own breadcrumbs that they find, right? So I was starting to read books on mindfulness. And for me, being in nature was a really good healing resource for me at the time. And yeah, I think those breadcrumbs and my hunger for healing, you know, helped me become open to alternatives like energy medicine. But, you know, a foundation is understanding the nervous system and regulating the nervous system and starting to track you know the ways in which we you know lose access to our upper brain of logic and reason and how we default to really the survival brain right that has us kind of stuck in the sympathetic nervous system of fight flight or you know we're in that freeze and appease response so slowing everything down and just starting to track that bring awareness to it with non-judgment, right? Having compassion for those survival responses that get activated when the alarm signals in our brain are telling us something's not okay. And Mm -hmm. so developing a relationship from ourselves to ourselves, right? So nervous system regulation is a big piece, you know, because when we're in that survival mode, we're often living from our neck up, and we kind of lose our own capacity to feel ourselves So embodiment is another piece. How do we derive this internal sense of touch, this interoception, which gives us access to presence and agency, right? And trauma is often, you know, an adverse experience that was too much too soon, the impact of which was historically overwhelming, and it was too much for us to process and make sense of. So we often leave our bodies because we have the experience that to feel the impact of trauma um, was too much. So it's not safe Mm -hmm. to inhabit ourselves. So how do we develop safety resources so we can begin to actually reside within ourselves, right? So a lot of healing is developing resources so we can actually be with what historically has been too hard, too much to be with. And so slowing it down, you know, so the sense of mindfulness, the sacred pause, just to pause, notice, Mm -hmm. and start to be with what is. And again, that encompasses lots of different tools and practices over time that help us broaden our window of tolerance so that becomes more and more possible, right? Because when we have trauma on the brain, it's going to continue to signal that that's not possible and we need to flee. We need to leave our lived experience. So we're starting to Invite in more and more capacity to be with ourselves.
0: Well, and I think often when you've been through some kind of a trauma, after the major trauma itself ends, you have these residual traumatic responses that kind of stick in your body that you get triggers. You know, I can think about certain times in my divorce where things were really extreme, and I do get certain triggers when certain things happen, or I'm put in certain situations, and I can almost feel the adrenaline go through my body. So I would say, you know, it's interesting, because I think you can consciously be aware that you're not in that trauma situation, but your, your body still responds to it. And it's really hard to, to manage and work through What, what do you suggest for that?
1: Well, I think of triggers as really a check engine light, right? And so when that check engine light goes on, it's inviting us to look under the hood, right? And that's healing is really building a relationship from ourselves to ourselves. So, you know, what's present as that check engine light, you know, goes on, you know, so what's being activated in us, what needs tending to, are there unmet needs? Is there an emotional impact that's has is continuing to take up residence within our body. You know, mm-hmm. the conscious mind is what we think we believe. Then the subconscious and the unconscious mind is what we truly believe. And that's what takes up residence in our body. So, you know, that's the knot in our stomach or the heaviness in our chest, right? We We have language to put to how we're experiencing emotion physically in our body, right? And the different parts of the body how is different qualities of consciousness where we store different beliefs, right? So taking steps forward, for example, is the consciousness of the knees. Very much the knees, you know, in a physical sense, help us move forward. The kidney meridian in Chinese medicine runs through the knees, which, you know, the kidneys store fear. So if there is some traumatic imprint that may get stored in the knees, each time we take a step forward, we may start to feel weak in the knees, we may start to have some knee issues present themselves, because there may be, again, this residue of unresolved trauma taking up residence in the body. So each time we take a step forward, we're going to get triggered because that doesn't feel safe, right? And so it's signaling these alarm signals in the brain that there's danger on the horizon. And, you know, when we have trauma on the brain that the threat may be real or perceived, but our physiology, you know, is going to respond as if it's real. And so, you know, part of this work then is to, to kind of reverse engineer, is this present moment experience or is this something historical playing itself out in the present moment? And if it's something historical, how do we reparent that part of ourselves that is still you know, replaying kind of a lived experience, beliefs, memories, emotions uh, from the past. Yeah. All to, to, to be with ourselves.
0: Right. Well, how do you think mental health has changed? I mean, this is all kind of new to us in the Western world, right? To look at all these different modalities. And the way our system is set up is it's not really structured to... You know, support these kind of healing treatments. I mean, it all comes out of pocket. It all has to be kind of explored and figured out by yourself. Uh, I do think it's kind of growing and expanding in awareness, at least. But you know, it's still not widely accepted. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah. I agree and I I'm always and this is part of just the state of healing because you know negativity bias in the trauma brain is always going to be scanning for danger, what's wrong, what's bad, you know worst case scenarios. And so part of the mind training of healing is reorienting from pain to possibility. So I agree everything you just said is true and I'm really focused on looking at You know, the flip side of that, where there is Reiki being introduced in a lot of um, hospital settings in the oncology department, you know, there are a lot more integrative, holistic, you know, systems being set up, which are creating that bridge. And there's a lot of people who are now at the point where they're not going to let, you know, their insurance what their insurance covers and what it doesn't dictate the level of care that they receive. Right. Um, so a lot more people are willing to say, "Wow, you know, our healthcare system is kind of more of a sick care system." And while pain and symptom management is sometimes necessary, so I'm not knocking it, it should only be a small part of the equation when it comes to our health because You know, treating symptoms is not actually addressing, you know, the causative factors at play. With that, I think there is, with that awareness, there is a lot more understanding that we can remove some of the stigma away from mental health, right? And I don't even like to use the word mental illness because I think mental illness is really just unresolved trauma. And I think there's more and more awareness that we can heal, you know, attachment, wounding, and trauma. And when we do, you know, what's labeled as mental illness, like anxiety and depression, can start to heal as well. But you know, I think there are still a lot of people stuck in the, the the mindset that if there's a chemical imbalance, let's treat the chemical imbalance. When research actually hasn't proven that chemical imbalance actually causes mental illness. Again, that may help people tread water, that may help people get by and manage, you know, what they're struggling with. But We need to actually look what's beneath the surface. And I think there's greater conversations like this taking place and, um, you know, more communities of support where there's more access to healing in many different forms and modalities.
0: Do you feel like most people who, you know, are struggling or, or have things that they're working through make the connection to the trauma or do you think it often really takes... Layers and work and exploration to get to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was just talking to a friend the other day who said they were going through years of therapy before the word trauma even entered into that therapeutic setting. So I do think that there's a lot of education and awareness to still, you know, be had when it comes to understanding trauma. And a lot of folks I work with, a lot of my students and my clients, you know, they, Haven't been the victim of a violent crime. They aren't refugees and like leaving a war zone. They're not, you know, suffering from, you know, what a lot of people consider trauma. You know, trauma is also any lived experience where we don't feel safe and supported, where we feel isolated and alone. And let's face it, we live in a culture that feeds off of division and fear. And so, to just be human is to to experience, you know, this, an adverse, an adverse life, right? And I like to flip the script to consider that what if anxiety and depression are healthy responses to an unhealthy environment? Mm. And, you know, also in early development, that's a lack of, you know, reliable and consistent care from our primary caregivers. So that's going to signal that, you know, nobody has our back. And in early development, if no one has our back, that could very much signal life or death, right? So we start to develop these adaptive strategies to get our needs met. We may hide parts of ourselves or perform parts of ourselves. So then so much of our own identity structure becomes organized around trying to get needs met out of the fear that they won't get met. So a lot of folks are carrying the trauma of just that lack of a secure attachment and early development. So it's not that any abuse or anything bad happened per se. It's just that the reliable, consistent support of what we need to, you know, develop that, that psychological safety and trust, our ability to trust in life and trust in ourselves and trust in others isn't nurtured. And that's a little more insidious because we—it's hard, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around, well, nothing bad happened to me. Well, it's like, yeah, but you maybe didn't get the right input. And so that's a lot of folks, I think, struggling with trauma, you know, start to kind of come to terms with.
0: I kind of feel like one of the first steps to healing in that kind of way is to start allowing yourself to feel the hard emotions. So anger, frustration, disappointment, sadness, whatever it is, and trying to peel back the layers of where it's coming from. When something happens, stay present in your body. Let yourself feel it because our culture is so oriented towards those feelings are bad. Like just be happy, do something to make you feel good. Start smiling and you'll feel good. It's like, well, wait a minute. Those hard feelings Are there to tell you something, either a boundary is being crossed or your needs aren't being met or, you know, someone did something that is imbalanced in your relationship or whatever it is that you pay attention to that and understand it for the message that it's giving you. And then you can kind of figure out, well, why is this resonating so strongly with me? Is there something even deeper there that goes back further, you know, yeah. peel back those layers a little bit?
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, the, the trouble with complex trauma and early development is when we're not getting that support and care and or when bad things are happening to us, we make it about ourselves. Oh, I'm not getting my needs met because something's wrong with me. Or I'm on the receiving end of abuse because something is wrong with me. So then it signals that we're bad, we're wrong. And then it signals, so then anything I must be feeling or thinking is bad or wrong. Right. So then so much of the path to actually feeling the hard stuff is the recognition that it's not bad for us to feel <laughs> this hard stuff, that there was, you know, an emotional impact to our lived experience and that it's actually yeah okay to feel it and to feel it doesn't make us bad yeah. and so that's that's a journey
0: i think energy healing has really helped me in not taking on other people's stuff like i i work with an energy healer too and being able to differentiate this is me this is my internal light. this is how I'm approaching this situation so that when someone comes in with something negative or confrontational or whatever, I used to always make it about me. I always thought I could, it was my responsibility to fix it to up level to change and just kind of accepted the attack as as true and it's when you start realizing, And like kind of understanding within yourself who you are and where you're coming from and your intentions and how you're dealing with this situation that you don't have to take what they're saying as truth. You don't have to accept the energy that you're giving. They're giving you, you can separate yourself and it's okay, you know, and it kind of helps you cope with the situation. I think it's helped me a lot.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I agree. Boundaries are a big piece and what's, this is mine, not mine. This is what I'm okay with. This is what I'm not okay with, right? This is what I'm available for. This is what I'm not available for. But, you know, in the case of trauma that gets hijacked, right? That often gets taken from us. So if we don't have a template of those boundaries established in early development, we need to create that template, right? And when that template hasn't been modeled for us, it's it's an uphill road to create it. Uh, it's not impossible. Yeah. It can be done. That's what healing helps us do. You know, and I love again, energy medicine helps me. And I overlay that with Chinese medicine. You know, so the gallbladder in Chinese medicine is all about courage, it's all about boundaries, it's all about decision making. The way Qi is this energetic layer of discernment that is basically where we meet the environment on and above our skin. And so as we reallocate vital life resources to the Wei Chi and the gallbladder, it helps us discern like what's useful information in the environment that we can draw from, that can nourish us, that we can learn from. And then what's energy in the environment that we want to protect ourselves from, right? Mm, There's wisdom in protection. And a piece of that too is that protection can be a function, not a form, right? So oftentimes, you know, my journey of unraveling my spine, I was wearing the function of protection in my physical body, right? So I was wearing that guarding, the beliefs that the world was unsafe and dangerous and out to get me, right? And I had to protect Mm -hmm. my heart. And so we often will start to posture and identify with coping mechanisms, as opposed to being able to set them aside and realize that, oh, yeah, I can protect myself when necessary. That's a useful strategy, but I'm not my strategy. So then strategies can become accessible when necessary, but we don't have to carry the weight of them as armor.
0: Well, it's all about consciousness, too. I think that's such a huge one. Just in general, having awareness and consciousness is kind of the first empowering step to changing anything and feeling good, really. So what if you have someone close to you in your life that maybe is struggling with mental health issues, but maybe doesn't know it or isn't proactive in managing it? Or, you know, what is a good way you can show up and support without You know, inserting yourself—I think I find that really hard because the mental imbalance or whatever you want to call it—it's so prevalent. And I think, especially now, there are a lot of, you know, just people walking around that are hurt and have healing to do. And you know, I can think of someone in particular that is just—I've had to just kind of let it go. You know, you can't can't make someone do something.
1: Yeah. Well, and. And this goes for even my clients and my students, where you know I'm working through a trauma-informed lens, where I'm here to hold space and be fully present to someone's journey. But even with my clients and students, it's not my job to fix them. It's not my job to heal them. It's my job to support them so they can heal themselves, right? And so everyone has agency and choice. Again, that may be hijacked, and trauma may have robbed us of feeling our own agency and choice at the end of the day, it's up to each of us to find that. But I feel the antidote, especially, you know, in our personal relationships is just letting people know that we're there. Right. So, you know, the antidote to that isolation is just connection, but it's also having enough distance that I'm here with you, but, and I can care, I can care about you, but it's not my job to take care of you. Right. So, I can be caring without taking care. And and that's, again, I think that's an unfolding in one's healing journey to kind of break free of codependent patterns and taking care of other people's needs before our own, right? And so we can hold neutral space as best we can. And there may be a point where we set a different boundary, where maybe we're no longer available for that because that's just not in our best interest. And so I think that's, you know a journey for each of us to navigate in our own relationships. And I just love the idea of doing relationship audits, right? And, Mm. um, you know, how do relationships fit into our lives and how they fit into our lives can reconfigure. We can give ourselves permission to, to set those boundaries and establish, you know, the balance that's right for us.
0: So what do you ask yourself when you're doing a relationship audit?
1: You know, is this relationship mutually beneficial? Am I walking away? feeling enriched not that this is 50 50 and there's always give and take right mm-hmm. um but you know for me i i'm kind of i'm like i based on the work i do i learned you know decades ago how to have really clear boundaries so i don't do many relationship audits now because i kind of have a discernment going into relationships of this is going to be you know a reciprocal type of uh, of deal and again, it's never always 50-50. So our ability to ask for what we need, you know, communicate where we're at and discern. I think in professional world, that can change, you know, so who my team members may change. It's like, oh, this just no longer is a fit or, you know, mm. how you have things set up doesn't actually meet me where my needs are. And so now I need something different. And what if that doesn't have to be personal, right? <laughs>
0: Well, and I think it's okay to ask to communicate because sometimes our needs change in a relationship or the dynamic shifts into kind of an unhealthy imbalance. And like in my case, sometimes I don't, you know, I haven't really openly communicated. That's been hard for me because I didn't always do that. So it's shifting into that self-awareness, self-healing to be able to verbalize and say like, hey, you know, when you do this, I really need you to show up for me in this way, rather than just like expecting them to be mind readers and just do it and then being frustrated and disappointed when it doesn't work out in the way I envisioned, you know, it's okay to say, well, this is what I think, you know, our relationship should look like as far as showing up for each other or whatever it is, you know?
1: And, you know, if we go back to early developmental needs and trauma, so much of healing is grieving unmet needs, grieving the unfulfilled wish of what never was, you know, processing the impact of adverse experiences. And the more we have the capacity to do that, then the more we can gain clarity into what we actually need and want. And we gather more discernment as to what we're feeling, what the Mm. message inside of that emotion is so then we can do a check-in all right right now i'm feeling frustrated oh that frustration is because of this well now what do i need right and so so much of that can be an internal job so then it clears up the stickiness in relationship where we can just ask for what we need right because it's our job to understand what we feel and why right so that's Mm -hmm. the inside job the relational piece is then to make the ask
0: yeah well, and I think a lot of women get into that giving, giving, caring, caring, where they don't feel like they even have needs. You know, I didn't feel like I had any needs in my marriage. I mean, I just was the giver. And, you know, you kind of forget how to how to do that. So I did, have been doing a lot of healing around that. It takes time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I see a lot with, you know, clients that with certain imprints of trauma, to have needs can feel very risky, and so it feels safer to not have any needs to be superhuman. And mm. you know, it's, it's too vulnerable to actually see if someone else can meet our needs. So this sense of hyper hyper vigilance, hyper independence, and just taking care of everyone else at our own expense. So well,
0: it can know- be a trauma response too to do that, where something happened where your needs weren't met or weren't honored, and you just feel like oh, I, I just won't need anybody anymore. I'll just take care of myself, you know? Yeah.
1: And so much of healing is kind of the cost payoff analysis because that trauma response may save us and protect us in some regard and at some phase in life um, until that maladaptation to that stress and that trauma becomes less useful. And so then we start to kind of feel the pay- the the cost of that, which might be the loneliness of that isolation and realizing, actually, maybe I can't get all of my needs met, that some of my needs might actually be relational because as humans, we're social creatures, you know, we, yeah. you know, just we can self-soothe, we also co-regulate, right? So we, we can't live in isolation and we can't heal in isolation. So much of this is happening in yeah. the relational field
0: it's so true. Well, tell us about Prism and how your program works. How do you work with your your clients?
1: Yeah. So, I have developed a trauma and neuroscience roadmap which is delivered through an 8-week course and that basically is just helping us get our bearings straight. You know, I know I went through years of therapy and healing knowing I was on the right track but not really knowing where I was going or or why, right? So, The map just helps to kind of take all the guesswork out of our healing paths, just so we can kind of orient to where we are, where we're headed. The seven Prisma Pillars are the drop pins on that map, and I like to think they take us on a journey from pain to purpose. And then the somatic and mindfulness-based practices that I teach throughout the course, I kind of offer in guided practices. And that I think of as like the GPS that we need so we don't get lost on the journey, but really, that is the mind training to shift from pain to possibility, right? When we're in the trenches of trauma, it's hard to look at the horizon. We may not be even be able to see it. So it's reorienting the mind from this pit and this hole to, you know a field of possibility. And that's practice, right? The mind is a tricky thing to get to know, even more so when we have trauma on the brain. So it's really developing it, you know, like we would a muscle, right? It takes practice. Uh And then the energy medicine component, you know, the energy medicine piece is really what helps to calm the cardiovascular system, regulate the, the nervous system, you know, that helps to boost the immune system. You know, I look at energy medicine as flushing out the stagnation of emotion that gets stored in the body. So that's also going to help to flush out inflammation, you know, brain fog. Um, so that's just going to help to get our whole physiology. You know, there's a lot of talk around, you know, the the gut gut health and the relationship between the mind and the gut. So energy medicine's working in all these levels. We can heal an emotion stored in the gut. And then all of a sudden we're going to start to find, you know, we're thinking differently or we'll start to mm. repattern some neurotransmitters and some hormones. And then that helps the body release an emotion and we start to move differently. So, you know, the subconscious mind and the unconscious mind are, you know, speaking in metaphor through the body. You know, I guess one helpful metaphor, I just think of the body as a symphony orchestra. And so energy medicine is just helping to break up the noise. So all the different parts of the body are just making sweet music, right? They're working as a team, they're in communicating in relationship to one another. You know, where the imprints of trauma, when the nervous system gets flooded, the different parts start to kind of, you know, turn their backs on each other when the nervous system short circuits. And then instead of making music, we start to make noise and that's our symptoms. That's our disease. That's our illness. Um, that's our alienation and isolation. Right. So healing's really restoring us into of the understanding of our own wholeness. And when we feel mm-hmm. whole within ourselves, we start to see the wholeness in the world. But when we feel split and fragmented within ourselves, we're often only going to see the fragmentation in the world.
0: That is so true. I love that. I can totally relate to that within myself. When I don't feel aligned, it's like all of a sudden everything outside of me is falling apart and I can't, you know, Deal with problems very well, and I start seeing everything is negative, and it's like, but it is a practice. You bring yourself, you guide yourself back. You know, nobody ever masters feeling good all the time. It's just learning how to guide yourself back and understanding yourself and recognizing things faster and better over time.
1: And that's the mind training piece too, to not identify with what we're experiencing, right? To notice the emotion or the memory or the thought, kind of like a weather pattern and to recognize that we're not the weather, you know, we're the empty sky that is always present, even if it's obscured by storm clouds. And so gathering that distance, you know, differentiating between self and experience. So we're no longer identifying with victimization, we're no longer identifying with pain and trauma, but we're starting to reorient to, you know, this witnessing consciousness, you know, the presence of who we are. Mm-hmm. So healing just helps that presence, that awareness grow. And the more we grow in awareness, then the more these imprints of trauma and pain start to come into yeah more of a recognition of the wholeness, so much of healing is creating more of a cohesive narrative of our lives where trauma breaks up that cohesiveness, right? It breaks it up. So we only start to focus on this part of our life or that part of our life. And we don't really see the through line that helps us derive meaning and understanding and place and significance.
0: Well, I think the healing is all about where we need to grow, where we need to change, It feels so uncomfortable in the moment. And I'm in the middle of a really big lesson right now. But it's so interesting because I feel like in my own personal growth, I've been doing this long enough now that I'm less afraid. I'm less traumatized. I'm less taken down by the pain of the lesson and the transition and the hardness of what I'm working through and I can see it for what it is, that it's like a portal to the up level, but it's still hard. <laughs> it's still hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing, and this is my experience with myself and my students. It's like there, it's like we derive, there's more of us that has our own back. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that life is just perfect. Life is still going to hurt and there's still going to be challenges and struggles but we've grown in our capacity to have our own back, right? There's less of us leaving ourselves or losing ourselves. There's more and more of us that gets to choose ourselves through the, through the bumps, through the ups and downs.
0: Oh my gosh, such a journey. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before I ask you my final two questions?
1: You know, I, a lot of my, A lot of folks find me when they're at like the end of their rope, right? They've tried everything under the sun. Nothing's moved the needle on their pain, you know, their anxiety, their depression, their trauma. We need to be our own best advocates. We need to continue to follow the breadcrumbs. We we can't just, you know, reach one dead end and stop, right? We need to then back out of that dead end and find another road. So, so much of healing is around becoming our own best advocate and, Mm -hmm. you know, testing many different roads until you find, you know, the one where you can really find and catch your stride.
0: Yeah. And trusting what does work, you know, allowing it in opening up and being willing to, to try. And it's kind of, you know, I've had books that I've picked up where I'm like, this isn't resonating with me. Like, it's okay to put it down. And stop pursuing, you know, a modality that just isn't resonating with you because the sooner you you know, let go of something that isn't, you get closer to what is. And there are all different ways. There's not one way to heal. There's not one way to be the best version of yourself. There's not one way to do life. You know, there's so many options and it's so about trying different things and being open and being willing and just having the ability to see and feel and appreciate the right things when they come understanding that, you know, I agree. So in that vein, what books are you reading these days? You got anything good on your nightstand or in your audible app?
1: Uh, I just ordered Gabor Mate's, I'm forgetting the title of it, his new book that came out. It's basically a similar thread of the myth of normal. Is that the name of it? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's his work, I just always resonate with. He's spectacular. That's that's what's up next.
0: Oh, nice. What about music? What's playing on your playlist these days? What do you like?
1: Yeah, I love El Bujo. They I listen to them on SoundCloud. I prefer their playlists more than I do their recorded albums. Yeah, El Buho is great. I've been listening to a lot of Jesse Ware. I'm a fish head, so.
0: I oh, you are?
1: <laughs> don't listen to, I don't really listen to fish much at home, but like when I can catch them live, then I'll, yeah, catch some good fish music.
0: So nice. Music I love it. What's your point favorite point? fish song? trying to think yeah. i like the whole picture of nectar album that whole album was kind of my fave
1: nice yeah i don't actually have a favorite song i um yeah i just love their live yeah yeah so, so fun i'm seeing trey that. in berkeley uh, in october so a few weeks
0: oh very cool have a good time i love that he's touring by himself i guess
1: yeah he has a solo band um oh. so in between fish tours he does his own act. Yeah.
0: Oh, cool. I didn't know.
1: Yeah, tab. Try Anastasia band.
0: Nice. And where can everybody find you? What's the best way to get to you?
1: Yeah, gregwhiting.com. That's W-I-E-T-I-N-G. And Mm -hmm. so you can learn more about me and my course. It all starts with a conversation, right? And so folks resonate with, you know, my message, my energy, and are struggling with anxiety, depression, trauma, chronic pain. We'd have a talk and we see if, you know, we can do some good work together. And so I'm all about creating win-wins. And if if I can't provide folks with the right support, I just as soon refer them to someone else who can, you know, get better, meet their needs and help them get to where they're, you know, wanting to go.
0: Yeah, such a beautiful approach. I'm sure you have an amazing network, too, I would imagine, with all of your students that you've taught and, and clients that you've worked with. And
1: yeah. Yeah. Healing tends to create a, a really beautiful web. And, you know, some of my closest yeah. friends are naturopaths and acupuncturists yeah. and therapists. And so, you know, where one of our work is, you know, falls short, you know, there's because there's a power in everything and a limitation in everything. And I think, yeah, just as you said earlier, I think there are many, uh, uh, just as many approaches to healing as there are people. So we each need to kind of find the different pieces that work for us.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I love that network. I mean, it's so cool, this whole industry and journey of being on personal growth and healing. I was on an airplane flying home from, I think, Florida or something not too long ago. And I was editing a podcast and this woman next to me was kind of looking at it, like asking me what I was doing. And I just did an interview with her the other day. She's a writer and we just connected. And one of the questions in the interview was, How do you meet your podcast guests? And I said, Well, it's primarily just through how I met her, like going around in life and kind of projecting this intention and purpose and passion of just doing life better every day. And people sense that it's, it's a real energy we put out there and it's so cool how it just expands and escalates and it picks up and, and guides you to the people you need to meet. I love that. Yeah. So good. Just like you. (laughs) So fun. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Greg. I appreciate it and love your story of healing and the work that you're doing. Can't wait you know, for this interview to get out there and for people to hear about you.
1: Thanks so much, Nina. Really good to be here.
0: Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at c.theupside and Facebook at seetheupside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.